Welcome to the Springforth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor, Iowa. This recording was made on September 5th, 2021, the 15th Sunday of Pentecost. Good morning. As we review our announcement sheet for this morning, first of all, I want to thank you all for your response to the prayer concerns that seem to be, well, a little bit more frequent this past week. Pleased to say that I've been in contact with uh, the individuals on here and those who are recovering from recent procedures are, are really, they're doing well and, and making, making, making progress. That would be Casey, Roger, Marilyn, and Dan is here with us. There he is. All right. And then, of course, we continue to lift up our prayers for both uh, David Kanzier, who is in his um, final chapters uh, of life. Uh, his children did have a good visit with him but he's winding down. And then, of course, we continue to lift up uh, Penny Embus as she waits for the results of uh, a recent tests to make sure that you know, her system is looking good and, and working well. I realize now that the, the, the call for, for prayer is actually a, an important prerogative in ministry, and perhaps maybe I haven't underscored that enough maybe we feel that it's just become sort of a routine thing like yes it's church yes we ask for prayers yes we put it on in the prayer list but this is a an aspect of our ministry where we can truly actually match our our faith with our with our actions so often we figure out how can we best serve the community as a congregation what what things can we do and and I know that churches are really good about being able to sort of generate hands-on, busy work, assignments, projects, etc. But this spiritual act of being able to intentionally create a mindfulness space where you can insert the concerns of another and you can sort of invoke the presence of God for these specific concerns is such an important ministry, I don't want us to gloss over it or to think that we're not doing it right or we're not doing it enough. When these prayer requests come out and whatever time you take and set aside in order to, to, to focus in on those who are requesting prayer, it's never wasted. All that prayer is good. And when we invoke the presence of God to be present with an individual and their concerns, and that is always a sacred moment which we can share at any time and in any place. So in case you feel like you haven't been as 
responsive to the prayer concerns or you, you don't think that you're doing it right? Because you know, sometimes we get so, so guilty. It's like, well, we get to praying and then all of a sudden the individual that we're praying for concern because something else fills our head. Whatever is filling, filling your head is probably something that God wants you to be mindful of as well. So just throw it all in the hopper, offer it to God, and God will, of course, deal with the results of that. This was part of my meditation as I was fielding these different prayer concerns and, and getting them to Mary so she could send them out on, the, on Facebook and the email. And I started to realize that, you know, what, what is the respective congregants' thoughts and reflections on when they hear these prayer requests? Do you stop what you're doing right at that moment and offer the prayer? Because you know that if you don't in that moment, you'll, you'll forget about it. Do you say, do you write it down and say, okay, when I have my devotional time, I'll remember to keep these meditations. And then I just sort of started to kind of go down this, this, this spiritual rabbit hole of how is it collectively that we do respond to our prayer concerns and, and do we feel that we're having any effect? First of all, I will tell you that yes, you are having an effect. Keep at it, don't stop. There is no right or wrong way to pray for another. The, the importance is, is that we do so. So with that little sermonette, um, is there anything else on our announcement sheet that we would like to highlight? Yes. Thank you, Linda. Any other uh, prayer concerns? D does anyone know of the, the family? There was a house fire in Prairie. Anyone know who that family was and how they're doing? Oh, okay. So two houses. Oh, or was it one residence? Okay. But they have, they have lodgings right now. I mean, they're they have a place to go. Okay, okay, because I did, I did hear about that, and I was like, any other um, immediate? Okay, well, hang on to this. It's, it, has, it has all the pertinent information that you need for this week and, and also for, for the month. I have a thank you. Shepherd of the Hills Ministry thanks us for the Back to School for Kids project. They packed up 152 backpacks for the 21-22 school year, and they just thank our congregation and the individuals, businesses, and organizations in the community that helped bring that about. So thank you again. It's always nice to be able to be able to respond, meet community needs. Jackie is here. Uh, for, for a number of reasons. Jackie is here because she wants to be here. But, <laughs> and Mike's here because Jackie wants him to be here. Let's just be clear. But also because uh, Marilyn had a, a surgical procedure this week and just figured she would store up her energies and pass the mic over to Jackie. So quite literally Mike and Mike. So we have the opportunity of being able to uh, do the music today. Today this will be our book of choice, The Faith We Sing, and our numbers are up there, so if you want to just bookmark this in advance, you'll have that.
Anything you care to say about that, Jackie? Okay, it's good to see you this morning. All right, if not, then the prelude is all yours. Oh, no. Okay, all right. No, we have no prelude. Let's, uh, let's go straight, straight to the invocation. God be with you. Let us pray. Grant us, O oh Lord, to trust you with all of our hearts, and for you always resist the proud who confide in their own strength. You never forsake those who make their boast of your mercy. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Let us rise and join in number 2271. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Let the man who trusts in the rulers, nor in any child of earth, 
When they breathe their last, they return to the earth, and in that day their thoughts perish. Who made heaven and earth, the seas, and all that is in them, who keeps his promise forever. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. morning. Uh, The first reading is from Isaiah chapter 35, verses 4 through 7a. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For water shall break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The epistle reading is James chapter 2, various verses. My brothers and sisters, do you with acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice to the one wearing of the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs in the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But have you dishonored the poor? Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but if you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over justice. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith but do not have works? 
Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Please rise for the gospel. The gospel comes to us from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. From there he set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know that he was there. Yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter, and he said to her, Let the children be fed first. It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went by the way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. They brought him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay a hand on him. He took him aside in private, away from the crowd, put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then he looked up to heaven, and he sighed, and he said, Ephapatha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but he ordered them even more zealously, they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the Holy Gospel. You may be seated. So it's been a, well, it's been an interesting news week. <laughs> uh, for those of you who, who still, <laughs> still follow the news. I know some of you have gotten news fatigue, and you're like, no more. It's going to be nothing but innocuous television from here on out. But for those of you who are still following the news, you realize that, wow, where does one begin? And the reason why I'm saying that is because I'm, I'm moving through James here, and James is such a practical hands-on letter that James, you, you, you almost get the sense that if you were in the same room with James, and James were, were teaching and, and, and proclaiming, that he, James is not doing mystical talk. He's not making these sorts of uh, philosophical and theological connections that you can consider if you're in the right frame of mind or in the right mood. James is like, this is what you need to do. This is how often you need to do it. This is where you need to go to do it. I mean, James is basically building you a framework of conduct so when we find ourselves in the world, in the greater sphere of the world, we realize that our, our conduct is an extension of our theological beliefs. And this is where James, the letter of James, has been, there's been some theological turmoil over the years, over the generations about that. Martin Luther did not like the letter of James. He, he just, he didn't care for it. Martin Luther was an incredible mind and a great theologian and, and reformer. He didn't like James because he didn't like the sort of flavor where James was taking between the whole faith and works. Martin Luther came down on the side of righteousness through faith. 
which was coined by the Apostle Paul. So Paul gets a lot of airtime in terms of establishing that theological framework. And many churches operate in accordance with that. As a matter of fact, we could even say that at some point, we like to be justified by our faith because it ends all arguments. Right? Who can, I, I can't tell you that you do not have faith. I, 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 I simply can't tell you that. I mean, I, I, I could, but I can't prove it. I can't prove that you don't have faith. But James, by making faith active and proactive, James is like, look, we're judged by the fruit we bear. So I want to tell you a story. It's a short one, because it's early in the sermon. So it's just, that's when you put your shortest stories at the beginning. You put your long ones at the end when everyone's eyes glaze over and they're looking at their watches, sneaking their phones out and doing them numbers. When we bought our first house in California, he's just so excited to get a house, especially in the Southern California market, right? I mean, you, you, you don't care, beg, borrow, steal, there's a house that, that's available. You don't really get a chance to look carefully at, at, at the building or, or at the space. You just want to get into the market. So we did find a, a nice, and Burbank's a good city to live in. I mean, it is. If, you can, if, you can, if you're going to be in a sort of L.A. basin, Burbank's a good city. Excellent schools, excellent law enforcement, good churches. You know, that's the, the kind of things that you want in, in, the, in the suburbs. So we got a little house, 1803 Monterey Street. In case you're ever in Southern California, you want to come by and find out where pastors' first theological thoughts were formed. You can go to 1803 Monterey Street. Had many, many a good idea there. In fact, I remember when I was staying in my living room and visiting with the call committee. And, uh, and, and you had asked me, I think it was in January, and you'd asked me what the temperature was. I said, it's 80 degrees today. I said, but I'm willing to give all that up to come to Iowa. Linda was there. She was a witness on that call. <laughs> and I can still distinctly remember Scott Myers laugh in the background. Because he's like, who would give up 80 degrees? You've got to be nuts. In the back of our yard, and it was a nice, it was a nice yard. It was a, it was a double lot, like what you have, Linda, was the remnants of a tree, a big, nasty, dead tree. And in Southern California, you don't want to have a dead tree in your backyard because that spells termites. And once the termites are done with the tree, they're coming after your house. So here we were, and this was, this was before I became a tree warrior, like I am now. I, I didn't know anything. I didn't have any of the right tools. I just see this huge tree sitting in the backyard. It's dead. But our neighbor came over, Tony, great guy. He came over, and, and he was like, oh, that was a great tree. That was an apricot tree. He used to produce big, fat apricots. He goes, mmm. He goes, you eat them, the juice would run down your chin. You know, he's telling us all this. He enjoyed the tree. We get to enjoy the remnants of the tree. And as I was sitting there and I was looking at that, because we had lots of fruit-bearing trees in the yard, but none as sweet as that apricot tree, which we would have never tasted of the fruit. And then I started to think about the, the metaphor of a tree is known by its fruit until that tree is dead. And then it cannot produce fruit, so therefore it is completely unknown to you. It's just old, dead wood. This is where James is coming from. James is coming from and saying, how are we known by our testimony of faith? By the fruit that we bear. How are we known as loving and compassionate and as understanding people? By the gestures of compassion, by the gestures of hospitality, by the gestures of generosity. We are known by these things if they exude from our person. 
testimony of faith, according to James, is not enough. It works for us, and it keeps a great many people at bay. But at some point, folks are going to want to see the evidence of what we proclaim. They're going to want to see that somehow we have not just thought about it, we have not just meditated on it, but actually we have sort of woven it into our daily walk. So I don't take exception at the letter of James. I think, I think we would do wise to dip into James a few times a year as a refresher course to remind us of what this walk of faith entails. It entails the proclamation, but it also entails this sort of execution of the things that we proclaim, of this faith for which we attach ourselves to the personage of Christ. So James is making it very plainly here, and, and he uses this wonderful example, which will lead to another story, but I just want to read it to you first. For if a person with gold rings and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, oh, oh, you know, you fall over yourself and you say, here, have a seat here. Please sit here. While to the poor one, you go, stand, stand in the back or sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, this is a story. It's not an apocryphal one. You can click it up on the internet. Of course, like there's no apocryphal stories on the internet, so I have to clarify that. This, this one has been confirmed. There was a minister who, had, who had was recently called to, to serve a parish, and he had made arrangements with the, the call and nominating committee that he would come in plain clothes and then be introduced later on in the worship service. And when the man came in plain clothes, he came in plain clothes. I mean, like he put on him chore clothes. See, Carol knows this story. He put on his chore clothes, and had like a few days growth of beard going on there and was just kind of looking like he had just finished doing three or four lawns on a 98 degree day with no shade, no water, and didn't bother to hit the shower. So he was looking pretty rank. Came to church at the fellowship hour. Everyone did one of these. <laughs> it's like, should we be concerned? Who is this bummy character who has now entered into our space? Couldn't really find anyone to greet him and couldn't really find anyone who wanted to share a pew with him. But everyone was at church that day because the new minister was going to be announced. So we have to come and have a look over the new pastor to see whether or not we're going to want to continue on worshiping in that space. And the council president gets up and the congregation welcomes everyone. Good morning, welcome, it's a glorious day. This is the day that the Lord has made and blah, blah, blah. Today we will have, the, you know, we will meet our new pastor in residence. And everyone's like excited. And he's like, and he's here. He's, he's, he's among us today in the congregation. And everyone's like, is it I, is it I? You know, and everyone's looking around. And he's like, I want to call him forward. And the bummy guy gets up and comes forward. And everyone's blood drains from their faces. <laughs> because they know this guy pulled a fast one on us, right? And I, I, I mean, that's, that's a stunt. That's a stunt that, that comes right out of the pages of James. And it's not that he wasn't going to serve these individuals. It's not that he wasn't going to forgive them. And I don't even think he was trying to 
embarrass them, but he was trying to demonstrate very concretely that there's posturing and then there's a sort of organic, we, we don't proclaim, we believe, we endure in that. And I mean, I, I, I wish there were a sequel to this story because I don't know how that, I don't know how long his pastor it was, I don't know, you know, how do you begin when, when you start at that point and you basically say, I was a stranger among you and you did not receive me. I mean, that's a pretty cold, hard lesson. Maybe, maybe, his, maybe his ministry was only a few months there because they're like, man, we never got over that, that trick you, you pulled on us. And he's like, well, yes, forgive me for pulling the trick on it, but you should have been, you should have been more in character. You should have been ready to receive the, the, you know, the widow, the orphan, the homeless, the destitute, instead of making a distinction of who you want to worship with and how you want to worship. And I've, I've served in pedigreed churches, lofty, gorgeous temples made to God that did that sort of thing. Did I tell you the story about the first time we did Stewardship Sunday at the First Congregational Church in LA? And I'm sure, I hope that God they don't do it this way anymore. I'll tell you it again because you're, you, you like stories. First Congregational Church of LA, when I was there serving as an assistant minister, used to do Stewardship Sunday in a most horrible fashion. They would have everyone bring their envelopes, and it was a huge, large nave, big cathedral. I mean, think of the basilica in Dyersville and add about another 300 feet to the aisle. So you had big, big space. And they would have everyone have their envelopes, and then they would set up the, the, the baskets up front. And they would have everyone who was going to pledge that day get up out of the pews, walk to the front, drop their, their offering cards in the plate, and then go and stand in the side aisles. Now, you can, you can see the image there, which means if you didn't have a card and you weren't going to pledge, you were sitting in the hot seat while everyone else who had just pledged is looking in on you. I can still see the image in my head. Because how can you, in fact, I was standing next to a man, and he's like, Pastor, we're going to be judged for this. And he was right. You don't get an image out of, that, out of your head like that of, look at us, we who are suitable to give are looking down on those of you who did not make a pledge. Those of you who are not supporting this ministry. Now, we could say, oh, well, they're not looking with them with any sort of condemnation, but it's pretty clear who were the givers or who were the ones who were mocking that they were going to give just so they didn't have to be sitting in the middle. Again, there is a place for James's teaching in this world. We need these letters of accountability to remind us of the ways in which we make subtle distinctions between who we want to spend time with, who we think is notable, who we think is worthy, and, and who, you know, be off with you, on to the next thing. So I'm in the curious position right now as a minister of trying to field the needs of the community in such a way to where we don't become enablers of those who have needs that we can empower. Because I think what we want to be is a congregation that can truly empower individuals, right? The teaching them to fish as opposed to giving them the fish. And I suppose if, if, if I was going to direct my, my thoughts and my energies down the road, we probably should start to think about not 
the immediate remedies that we can give, to the long-term programs that maybe we could establish that would help people land on their feet. What types of instruction can we provide someone so that way we don't have to cut the check, but we can actually instruct and educate and empower and guide. Maybe we need to create a network of, like we should always have on hand, who's hiring? Seriously, this is, this is actually something that congregations and con congregants need to know. We need to know who's hiring. We need to know who, uh, who needs employees. Because so often the times when people are reaching out to pastors, it's because they're a little bit thin on this. And sometimes they're thin on this, it's because they got no income coming in. So instead of us being able to say, okay, I can meet those immediate needs for this time and point, but that money will be spent. Wouldn't it be better if someone could reach out and say, hey, pastor, I'm in a bad way. I've got no money. And I'm like, you know what? I got five or six job leads here right in the community. Some of them within walking distance. Would you like me to make a referral for you? Now, that's, that's a gift people can use. That's a gift people can use. Because I could give you the check, right? We could give you the check. That check's spent, gone. Now I need another check. How about a place that will give you a check twice a month? You gotta do something for it. But I think that part of what James is saying is that, look, being proactive and building the kind of community that we wanna live in means taking our wisdom, taking our, our, our knowledge and our networks and using that to bring others back to a sense of competency, and efficacy, and, and let's remind people that they have agency, right? There is part of burden sharing. Part of the burden sharing is not doing the work for someone else, but helping them to find those places where those pressures and pains of life can be alleviated. We're sitting on all this wisdom that could benefit people out there in the byways of life, and they're not hearing it. They need to hear it from us. This is why I think that, that James... Is, is causing us to say, let's put some action, put some, some you know, the, 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 the term of English, you know, for those of you who play billiards, you know, let's put some spin, let's put some, some agency on, you know, on our ministry, so that way when we send the gospel out into the world, it actually yields some results. It's not just empty platitudes and, and talk. I think it's possible. And I don't want to belabor the point, because I, I, I think you understand it. I think you understand that the world that we want to live in, we have to work to build it. I, I wish it could happen magically. You know, I wish we, that we could go home and close the door behind us and pray that all the insincere and, and, and dis difficult people and situations would just go away, but it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. But it does happen when individuals can come together, put our minds together, and build programs that transform people's lives. That's what church used to be. That's what church is called to be. That's what church can be. We can be an area that transforms people's lives and not just denigrates them and makes them feel unworthy, but gives them that sense of, I can do this? Oh, one more story. Gosh. Stories are just flowing. One, one more, okay, one more story. Seriously, I'm going to cut it off. So I can feel Jackie looking at me. 
This last story was, I saw this on, was it 60 Minutes? Maybe it was PBS NewsHour. Anyway, they were talking about individuals. There's a program that IBM had created for individuals who, who have no more than a high school diploma. And he said it's so difficult for people who have a high school diploma to really get a, a good job. So IBM saw that there was this incredible workforce out there, and they said, we're going to create a program of, of coding experts who need no more than a high school, high school diploma or GED. And they were talking with different individuals. One woman was a dog trainer. Another woman was you know, sort of in odd jobs, driving Uber, bits and pieces. And they applied for this IBM job. I mean, we're talking about like, you know, IBM salary, a proper IBM salary. And now they have a living wage. Now they have a job that they can feel good about. There's, there's advancement in there. Because IBM decided to think differently. They're like, is this possible? You know, do we really need a degree for this work? Or can we train people to be able to do these jobs? It doesn't require like years of engineering degrees and coding all that stuff. We can teach them coding. So as a result of them thinking differently, they pulled people out of a listless job market, you know, a gig economy, and gave them salaried executive level jobs. Now that's, I mean, that story inspired me because if a corporation can do that, how many other corporations could do that? How many other corporations can say, you already have the training, the, the wherewithal, with a little bit of guidance, we can pull you out of that sort of temporary existence and raise you up into something that actually is a career with all the benefits and all the trappings and the ability to send your kids to college if you so choose. Now, I don't ever expect a congregation, even these larger 8,000 member congregations, maybe to get to that point, but we can build programs that allow individuals to come to us and leave remarkably renewed and maybe even have a new direction. Part of our work as people of God is to encourage, to encourage, to motivate, to guide, but we've got to provide those resources. And I'm, I'm telling you this because I know the calls aren't going to stop coming. They're, they're going to keep coming. People are still always going to be in need. But oftentimes, they don't know what they're asking for. They think they're asking for assistance, but really they're asking for wisdom. They're asking for knowledge. They're asking for direction. And that's what we're going to start giving them. I'm not saying that's going to be the last time, you know, because we're on record here. There's a lot of recording devices. I'm not saying this is the last time. There's no more handouts from First Congregational. Like, aren't you the same guy that said you were going to spend all the money? I'm like, yeah, I am the same guy. Never mind. I'm not running for office here. I can say a lot of things. I am that same guy. But I also believe that we as a ministry, we as a ministry in this community need to have our fingers on the pulse of the community to such a degree to where we know exactly what the needs are and how to address them through empowerment programs and not through the mere Band-Aid assistance that we have been known for in the past. And with that, we'll sing our responsive song.
Please be seated. And now let's take this time for the fellowship of prayer, knowing that as my, my lead-in at the top of the service says, there's no right or wrong way to prayer, to pray, I don't know how to speak. There is only the desire. Let us pray. Loving and most merciful God, we thank you for the invitation and the call to prayer that comes not only on Sundays, but as we find throughout the duration of a week that things happen. People take sick, they have procedures done, accidents happen, natural disasters. We see that prayer is an exercise and a component of spiritual practice within the faith that helps us to connect with you, that provides us compassionate thoughts towards others, and so often has changed the course of our action. Prayer develops us and provides for us new talking points and new ways that we can animate the ministry. So for the many prayers that we have offered in the past, and for the ones that you know we will offer in the forthcoming future, we thank you. Help us to, to be consistent in our devotions, to be consistent in our prayers. Help us not to feel as if we are overwhelmed by the needs in our world. And, and for those of us who, who would like extra prayer cover, let us not feel as if our concerns are too insignificant to be lifted up. We build community by sharing our burdens. We strengthen our community by being with each other in our greatest need. And so as we pray for one another and as we request prayers, we continue to fashion that community which you have called us to be a part of. It's not merely enough for us to just meet and have corporate worship, but to think and to dwell and to serve one another through this, this spiritual platform, even when we are not congregating together. So for the, the individuals who have had procedures this week, for those who are in recovery, we, we thank you once again for the successful operations that they have had, for the rest restoration that you were bringing to their bodies and for their trust in you. I would say it's, it's been a good prayer week at First Congregational that those who requested prayers trusted enough us to handle them, to respond to them. And for those of us who have, who have met these prayer needs through the duration of our day can feel confident that we have been heard. We've been heard. So let our prayers continue to, to reverberate. We lift up to you the Olson family, Rick and Kelly, whose daughter was taken from them. This is an extremely difficult time for a family to have to process the death of a child and how to move forward. I, I pray specifically that you would surround them with 
every support system, be it both clinical, for grief counseling, for depression, but also with spiritual support, with loving individuals who can hold a space for them, not to inundate them with words, not to fill the space with a lot of platitudes and talk, but just to be there. Most powerful ministry is just showing up and shutting up, to not have to say anything. Some of the best ministry is done in silence. That's, we could do wise to remember that. So I ask that you would send the Olsons that wellspring that will come and minister to them in a variety of ways because a blow like what they are experiencing is enough to truly fracture a family. So I do hope that you keep them strong. They make their way through this. They never forget the treasure that their daughter was and that her memory will continue to endure with them now and always. There's been so much disaster locally with the fire just across the river displacing two families. We thank you for that there was no loss of life, though a tremendous loss of property. We thank you that a fund has been set up for them to have at least some immediate needs taken care of. And we know that in time, they will find a, another residence and they'll move forward. But that house fire reminds us of not only the houses that have been lost in the Caldor fire, but houses and homes that were lost from Ida, from Louisiana, right on up to New Jersey. Even New Hampshire was affected. This stuff is real. It is the destruction and the loss of life and being displaced and not having enough questions, I mean, not having enough answers to one's questions. All of this stuff is so real and so jarring and it's not hard for us to imagine what it's like to be in those individual shoes because we have all lost something at some point in our life that was very important and significant to us and we too felt as if we wouldn't be able to knit ourselves back together again if it weren't for the support and encouragement of those around us. These are some of the wonderful things of community is to be able to have individuals who can come to you and remind you that, hey, we can get through this together and mean it and mean it. So the call for unity is always there in a variety of forms, a variety of forms. So, gracious and loving God, we beseech you not only to care for those whom we have prayed for, but to help us order our thoughts in such a, a fashion that we can still be of use, notwithstanding the international concerns that are going on. We still have Afghani refugees. We still have. Haitian devastation, it just, it keeps on happening. Don't forget all the floods in Europe when they have heavy rains. So we're not done with this yet. My prayer is that you would help us to handle it in a better fashion. Receive the prayers that we set before you today in Jesus' name.
giving you thanks, God, for hearing us. I know you always do hear us, but sometimes we don't always respond in kind. So for this time that you have given us, that we might just sort of still ourselves enough to hear your distinct call, we thank you. Ask that you would receive those prayer concerns and requests that we have set before you and remember us as we pray as one. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We thank you for allowing us to be productive in the world in a variety of ways, and in doing so, we, we inject our communities with vitality. Bless these gifts, signs of, of our productivity, and allow them to be translated into a ministry that not only animates but engages and empowers individuals whose lives it will be fortunate enough to touch. We offer these things for the sake of He who offered Himself for us. Christ our Lord. Let us join together in our covenant. We covenant with the Lord and with one another and bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ.
God of grace, God of glory, thank you for all that you make possible, especially the opportunities for us to be able to, to share not only your life-giving word with another, but not just merely in the hearing of it, but in the receiving. Bless us now as we partake of these elements and restore us to full righteousness. Amen. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated Passover with his disciples, took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and says, this is my body given for you. They shared the cup together. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood shed for the remission of sin. We will forever associate the sound of cellophane with the forgiveness of our sins. So when that little kid is crinkling something at the movie theater, you'll feel absolution. Pretty cool, huh? It's Pavlovian. Let us pray. Beloved and most merciful God, we thank you once again for your signs and wonders and for your gracious love. Envelop us, that as we head back out into a world which still has plenty for us to do, we will feel encouraged and empowered to meet those needs because we know firsthand that we are not alone. You are with us, and so is the household of faith. Amen. Let us join together in our closing hymn. And in Jesus' name, we set forth, prepared to leave the sanctuary and to go back to our, our laden lives full of responsibilities. Know that as you go forth, you walk in the light of truth and in the spirit of God. And may the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, guide your way.